You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a lot about ourselves along the way. All right, in this show, we're going to cover some of the latest endurance sports news, and then we're going to go into the training log. And that's where I take you along with me on lots of the crazy stuff that we do as endurance athletes and talk about what I'm seeing, what I'm doing, and then give helpful tips about how you can do it too. So just real quick, I'd like to mention again that I am so happy to be back and recording shows again. And the response I got on social media about people being excited that I was making shows again, I took about a year break the the responses were just absolutely amazing and confirming about the community that we've built here and how much fun this is for everybody. I think the podcast landscapes changed just a little bit, but if you're new to the show, a lot of people like to listen to Zentry, is what we call it, while they go on long bike rides or long runs. Uh, it's just something to listen to throughout the day. And just so you know, there is no real point to the show. Just like Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. (laughs) There is no real point. The point is just the experience. And I give tips on Zen. done a ton of studying on Zen. I've got news for you guys on that too uh, in another episode. And doing triathlon is hard. Doing any endurance sport is hard. And a lot of it is the unspoken things about how to set up your day for success. Because it's not just today. It's tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after how to pick the right equipment, how to just do it all. And the show has been around since 2004, maybe 2005. I think it's 2004. And boy, do we have a lot of experience in helping you get this stuff done. And let me just introduce myself real quick so you know you're listening to somebody with actual experience and not just some newcomer. You can go find my race resume at zentrathlon.com and at the top there's a link that says who is brett but just off the top of my head something around 15 full ironmans probably double that in half ironmans i also do ultra distance marathon swimming so the peak of that was 22 miles across the length of lake tahoe using english channel rules and also i fell in love with ultra marathon trail running And I've done a 100-mile trail run race. I've done a bunch of the 50s. And lately, I've been getting into gravel, which actually we're going to talk about today. The sport has just exploded, and I'm going to explain a little bit during the training log about how to set up your gravel bike as a triathlon training bike so you can use gravel riding, which I think is amazing, as a training tool for your triathlon training. So my true mission is because I fell so in love with multi-sport, with doing triathlons and the, the lifestyle that it brings and how it makes you feel and how exciting and fun it makes life and the accomplishments that you can make. 
and how fulfilling that it is that I just love sharing it with other people. I also love technology. And that's why I was one of the very first podcasters is because I was that I was one of the people that enjoyed figuring out how to podcast. It was one of the first ones. And I love bikes. I love the gear. I love the whole thing. But what I love even more than that is getting other people out there with us. Because when you actually have a community doing something, then it makes it even easier and even easier. It makes Doing triathlon is difficult, the amount of time and dedication that it takes. But if those around us actually understand it and participate in it as well, all of a sudden it becomes just a normal thing that everybody does. And the Zen angle on this show is that one of the first types of podcasts, genres of podcasts that I noticed out there when there wasn't much to listen to was Zen masters were posting their talks to their monasteries, to their congregation. They were recording them and posting them online as podcasts. So I would listen to Zen talks by Zen masters while I was riding my bike or on long runs. And I found the stuff that they were saying was so amazing and actually applicable to both life and triathlon. And the things you learn in triathlon actually apply to life. And the things you learn in life apply to triathlon. And Zen is actually, you know, a thousand plus year old philosophy that's actually based on 2,500 year old uh, philosophy. It just goes back, stacks on stacks. <laughs> it's turtles all the way down. And everything you experience in life has already been thought about in great detail by people. And they have so much advice on how to handle things. And especially when you're trying to accomplish a goal and you deal with difficulty. And as a kid, I grew up with a copy of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance in the house. I believe it was my dad's. And I found it fascinating because it's a story about a guy traveling across the country with his son on motorcycles. And one of the interesting angles is they're working on the bikes and they're pulling the bikes apart to try to repair a piece. And he's talking about where's the quality, right? This motorcycle has more quality than that motorcycle, like this one brand or whatever. And like, but where is it? There is no piece that's the actual quality. <laughs> it's just the whole thing. And it's everything is about context and about the big picture and not one, but all, but not all, but one. It all intertwines with each other. And once you begin to understand that, you begin to approach life a little bit differently and things just start to work a whole lot better and make a lot more sense. So that's where the show name comes from. It's a fantastic book. And if you're new to the show, I think that you will learn along with the rest of the audience that it's not about any one thing. It's not about the whole thing. Not one, not two, but not two, but not one. It's about the journey. It's about the process. And when you pay attention to the process, then the end goal actually appears. But then the big secret is you fall in love with the process. And that's why we are here today. Okay, that's enough about that. Let's get back to making some real shows. Let's start off, as we usually do, with some endurance news. We'll start off with some race results. Former now, retired now, pro 
Heather Jackson, who has been an Ironman pro triathlete and a top performing Ironman pro triathlete for many years, announced that she was retiring from pro triathlon. But what was interesting is she started doing trail runs, ultra marathons, and also some gravel biking. And people are like, okay, well, that's, that's cool. She's had a very successful career. She deserves to change focus a little bit and maybe do something else. So then she turns around and races in the Belgian waffle ride in California, the San Diego one, and wins it. It was 128.7 miles and actually mostly pavement. And then some off-road mixed in gravel and such. And actually, I used to live right by where that race is. And I used to mountain bike on part of the course where they went off-road. And my friend Morgan actually lives on the course. So maybe next year we'll get an opportunity to go there and watch the race or participate in the race. I don't know. It's pretty great. We'll see how things unfold. But Heather mentioned after the race that this was the biggest win of her life. And I thought, well, that's something to say because I believe she's won many Ironmans. So to say that a gravel bike ride is actually the biggest win of your life just goes to show how big gravel racing has gotten. And just a side note, I'd like to say gravel racing is the closest thing in, that's pure cycling that I've found to doing a long-distance triathlon. Because it's got the cycling portion, obviously, but it's like an adventure and it's just something to be able to finish the race. They, they add in a lot of climbing. You're not sure what you're getting into. The bikes are kind of hybrid mountain bikes to get through that kind of terrain. And it's just chaos the entire time. <laughs> so it's a lot like, it's a lot like doing an Ironman and they can last six, eight, 12, 15 hours a day, two days. It kind of depends on which which uh, race you sign up for. There's all kinds of, of events out there. So there's all kinds of distances to make it just hard enough that uh, you start to wonder if you really should be doing this, <laughs> which is exactly like doing an Ironman. Okay, I commented on her Instagram post that I'm not surprised that a former, fresh fresh off the former, pro Ironman triathlete actually destroyed that thing because people underestimate the shape that an Ironman triathlete is actually in and that she turned around and won this thing is unbelievable. But also I'm kind of not surprised in a way. And yeah, it'd be really cool if we could get her on the show, maybe do an interview, see what she thinks she's going to do next. Next in racing news, Perry Roubaix happened which I believe takes somewhere between four to six hours. I know they set a speed record this year because aero bikes, back to triathlon, are becoming more and more prevalent. And the pro cycling contingency is starting to realize and starting to give in how much being aero makes a difference. And listening to all the analysts afterwards, all the podcasts, all the news about it, the winningest bikes were all aero bikes. And even though the cobbles, which are so rough, tends to have people ride bikes that are built more for comfort, it still tends to show that aero is actually more important for overall speed 
than comfort. It's kind of interesting. Matthew Vanderpool won it on a standard Canyon Arrow road race bike, not a bike with any kind of suspension in it or anything like that. Very, very interesting. Now, they are running uh, fatter tires. And the cool thing about Perry roubaix is it's actually true advancements in bike tech in action. You actually get to see it. There's all kinds of things going on in this race. It's so interesting to watch the coverage and the reviews of the tech going on and the analysis afterwards. There's a ton of people riding tubeless tires and then weird things happening because of that. Wider tires, people riding bikes that have built-in suspension in them. There was even a group of bikes that had an air pump built into the hub, into the hubs. And then you can press a button on your handlebars and it sends pumped air because as your tire spins, it pumps air into your, uh, into the valve stem of your, (laughs) of your tire and it airs up the tires. So they're harder on the smooth parts. And then another button to let air out and, then that makes your tire softer. So when you go over the cobbles, you're actually uh, going faster and not being bounced around as much. There's tire liners being used, which uh, is another side note. Uh, most of my time that I've been biking since over the past two years since the pandemic started has been mountain biking. And I've learned a ton about that technology. And they use tire inserts like crazy. And it's moving over into road bike and triathlon road. And one thing you won't hear that I just heard in the the tiniest corner of the internet was this pump system. Actually, it can't be used if you use tire sealant because the sealant gets pushed back up into the system, the air hose that, and into the pump that provides the pumping action when you let air out somehow. And that is going to clog things up. So that'll take a little bit more research to see if that's actually true or not. But very, very interesting. And then our last piece of race news, Kai, my 18-year-old son, went to Fayetteville, Arkansas for the U.S. Pro Cup mountain bike race along with his team called Texas Devo. It's a Texas development mountain bike race team with some of the best kids in the state of Texas. And Texas has a very competitive mountain bike scene. And he won the 19 to 29 age group mountain bike race, which takes like an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half, maybe straight up won it. (laughs) So I couldn't be more proud and more excited. And we're going to have an interview with him on an upcoming podcast about that race and other races and the things. He's a former uh, triathlete turned a a full-time mountain biker. And we're going to talk with him about how he approaches training, anything that he's learned from Zentri and also his other coaching and how he applies that, how he trains and any tips he has for us. So that is really cool. And Gadget and tech news, Garmin released two new bike computers. They're really updates to older bike computers. They released the 540 and the 840. And the thing to know is that both of these use the same operating system. And the reviewers have shown that the operating system is actually really made for the touchscreen style and that trying to navigate it through buttons is kind of awkward. 
and the 840 is the one with the touchscreen and uh, not the 540 and you'll probably be happier with the touchscreen one if you can afford it i think it's another unfortunately another hundred dollars it might be more but then also dc rainmaker big fan of him did uh reviews i watched it where he's doing the touchscreen in the rain and it works fine which is always the big concern with touchscreen stuff is is it going to work when covered in sweat and rain and gatorade and it does all right the last piece of tech news before we get into the training log is Kai's team that he's on, this Texas Devo team, actually got sponsored by Cav Helmets. And it's one of these 3D printing companies that's gotten into making bike parts and bike accessories and such. And it is a 3D printed helmet. And first they measure your head and then they send... Then they send you a sample shell. It's real thin. You know, it's like a few millimeters thick. It's definitely not a helmet. But then you put that on and make sure that it fits correctly. And then you give them the thumbs up over email. And then they fully print you one and send it to you in the mail a few weeks later, if it's even that long. And Kai got his first one. He's actually getting a second one coming because they have two models. And... Everybody on the team gets the, the, the older model first, and now they're going to get the uh, newer model. And Kai loves it. It's actually really cool. I weighed it. It weighs the same as Kai's real high-end Bontrager racing helmet. And if you look at it really closely, you can tell that it's 3D printed. And then it's lab-tested, certified crash protection, and all that cool stuff. The big selling point is that it's a totally custom fit to your head. And it's also just really cool. So we're going to have upcoming reviews uh, with that and see how the, um, the new one actually turns out and have that on future shows. One thing I noticed making shows again is how much I enjoy not necessarily the editing of the audio, but being creative with the editing of the audio. And I have a huge library of sound drops that I put in. And some of them are famous like this. Do you want to know why I think that you should race again? Sure, why? Okay, it's because it's what you love, Ricky. It is who you were born to be. And here you sit, thinking, well, Ricky Bobby is not a thinker. Ricky Bobby is a driver. He is a doer. And that's what you need to do. You don't need to think. You need to drive. You need speed. You need to go out there and you need to rev your engine. You need to fire it up and you need to grab a hold of that line between speed and chaos and you need to wrestle it to the ground like a demon cobra. And then when that fear rises up in your belly, you use it and you know that that fear is powerful because it has been there for billions of years and it is good and you use it and you ride it. You ride it like a skeleton horse through the gates of hell and then you win, Ricky. You win and you don't win for anybody else you win for you you know why because a man takes what he wants he takes it all and you're a man aren't you aren't you Susan I've never heard you talk like that are we about to get it on because I'm as hard as a diamond in an ice storm right now some of them are a little bit more obscure like this one and it's fun to figure out where it actually came from I'm gonna need you to fill in for me at Molly's school. No, no, no. Not this time. What? No, no, I'm talking to Lance Armstrong. He's trying to break away from the pack. I got him. Will you quit dicking around with your little huffy bike and listen to me? 
And then some of them are actual audio recorded during races and are some of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life and absolute crowd favorites like this one. Let's go, dude, with the iPod strapped to each knee. <laughs> So while I was editing this show, I noticed that I mentioned my new truck. It's not new anymore. It's two years old. It's almost three years old. Uh, multiple times during the show. And it's a white Dodge Ram. And there's a general consensus amongst people that people that drive Dodge Rams are assholes. <laughs> and it's just like people in BMWs or people in Teslas cut people off, you know. People in Priuses are rated as like the meanest on the road. It's just funny. And so I went out of my way and found audio on the internet confirming that and then recorded a new sound drop. I'm not going to play it for you now. I'm going to leave it to the very end of the training log. And you're really going to enjoy it. It's pretty great. So I've got a new sound drop. Can't wait to put more of them in. We have a lot of fun on this show. So I also need to mention that the audio quality varies during the training log quite a bit. And it's because I'm trying to figure out some new recording equipment and it's just kind of all over the place. And if you don't like the audio sound because it sounds tinny or distant, don't worry about it. It changes back and forth. And actually that happens a lot in this podcast because we record Zentri live while we're doing stuff. And it is a reflection of the true environment of trying to be a triathlete. There's always so much going on. Nothing's ever perfect. So you just do what you can to keep rolling. If you're going to stand still to try to get everything perfect, you're going to get past. So I promise in future shows, the uh, sound quality during the training log will be better as we figure things out and as we get more familiar with the equipment and get some more practice under our belt again. Okay, that's enough of the intro and the news. Let's hit the training log. Let's go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trap. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, welcome to the training log. Start eight. Is it the 18th? I gotta check my Garmin. Just finished a six-mile run almost with. Oh, it's the 11th. Where did I get the 18th from? Oh, that's the expiration date on my milk. <laughs> Six mile run with my dog. And if you're a new listener to the show, you haven't been following on Instagram, I'm Zen Triathlon on Instagram. We've got River with us. He's our pandemic puppy. Uh, Kona, our very famous huge black lab, passed away of old age. A few years ago and then Zoe our other dog was very sad and lonely so we got a puppy Kai had never had a puppy so we got a puppy and 
the great thing about a dog is if you start running with it, it will become your motivation to run because they will not leave you alone to go run. And then you train them the more you run to run better and better and better. And then it ends up being a really great thing. I'll talk more about that in future episodes. But he's half German Shepherd and half mix. We were bored last Christmas and because <laughs> of the pandemic and got him DNA tested because we're like, what is this thing? Because as he was a little black puppy, he had a pointy face. So we thought maybe he was a lab mix, but maybe German Shepherd mix. We weren't sure. And we're a little worried that might, he might be part wolf because he's so wolf looking. And he kept growing and growing and growing. I mean, we got him as a tiny little baby. And growing and growing. And he ended up being, I think he's 95 pounds. We had no idea, you know, and neither did the, the uh, animal shelter, how big he was going to be. And I was like, this reminds me of something. There is something about a dog that keeps growing something or a wolf or whatever and I grew up with Swedish grandparents and German grandparents with Nordic tales and little children's book about Nordic tales and so after some googling I found out and remembered there is Fenrir a wolf that is the bringer of doom he's supposed to end the world he's prophesied to be the destruction of, of earth and he is the son of Loki and a female giant, a giantess, that's what they call her. And he grew and grew and grew. And not Thor, but oh, what's his name? Man, no, I don't think it was Thor. Anyway, they had to trick him to tie him down. And if he ever escapes, it's going to be the end of the world. And that in the Marvel movies, when Hela, one of the, uh, one of the Marvel movies, Hela tries to destroy Valhalla, the planet, or something like that. Uh, there's a giant wolf. And I think in that they call it Fenris. <laughs> so, I'm like, dude, we've got freaking... We've got this monster at our house, and it just fit with mythology. And you can see how mythology develops, and it's fun. So, Google it. It's a lot of fun. But anyway, what I wanted to do was tie in gravel bikes... How to set up your gravel bike for long distance uh, training, for triathlon training, while I record post-workout stuff. So six miles with river, it's a cool morning, 53 degree start, uh, we got little lights on, uh, just jogging easy, and we'll cover lots more of that stuff as we move forward. But the first thing is you do need to put aero bars on your gravel bike. And the problem with that is now you're over the bar so much that uh, your seat is too far back. A standard gravel bike has road bike geometry. And the difference with tri bikes is tri bikes have tri bike geometry where the steep angle, if the seat post went straight up, that'd be 90 degrees. Well, tri bikes are at like 78 and road bikes are at like 72 or whatever. So it pushes your butt really far back, has you bent over your butt sticking out and hurts your lower back and you're not over the cranks as much you're like behind the cranks and it leads to all kinds of injuries and whatever so you can't just put 
arrow bars, clip-on arrow bars on any road bike, especially a gravel bike. What you have to do is move that seat forward enough that you're over the cranks. Well, how do you do that? Well, you find a forward-facing seat post. And I put a Thompson Elite forward-facing seat post. And it slightly bends forward. And then that gets you over the cranks again. And then now you can ride in the arrow bars without your back hurting. So that's step one. All right. Let's go inside river. Get ready to go to work. I've got an 8.30 meeting. i got to get in, change out of these clothes and shower. But let's go say hi to everybody. Hello, Lucy. Nobody else is up. All right. Be back. Out. All right. We are back. I'm driving on my way to this meeting and had some thoughts I thought I'd add in. One is Kai's mountain bike team got sponsored by a helmet company that does 3D printing of helmets. It's called CAV, K-A-V. And if you go back on my Instagram, you might see pictures of them getting their heads measured <laughs> with like calipers. And then they sent off their head measurements to the printing place, which might be in California. And it's definitely in the United States. And then they sent uh, a couple weeks later in the mail a, a shell that's orange with holes in it, and that is a tester to see if they got it right before they print out a full helmet with all the material. So it's, it's very thin, you know, it's like a couple millimeters uh, thick. Uh, uh, I'm trying to pick which way to go here. I'm at an intersection. A couple millimeters thick shell. Everybody in Texas has giant trucks with mirrors that stick, including myself. So you've got to weave your way uh, down our lanes. And since, uh, uh, it seemed to fit all right. Kai gave them the thumbs up, and then a few weeks later, he got his actual helmet. And it's really, really cool. If you look really closely, you can tell it's 3D printed. And it's just really, it's really neat. And the company's uh, seems to be really great. So I would uh, check them out. I'll probably get an interview and see what's going on with that. But that's some interesting new tech that's going on. And uh, we're seeing a lot of 3D printed saddles, which is pretty interesting. What happens is the material to distribute your weight even better with 3D printing, they can finally, you know, where the most cushion is. Instead of doing big patches of material, which is cost effective, they can do very small patches of changeable density which makes it comfortable and gradually more cushion here and less cushion there gradually instead of just a big you know patches of material that's what i understand it's pretty cool for that and back to gravel bikes 
and how to use one in triathlon. The next thing I do is if I was out buying a new gravel bike, I would make sure that it fits up to a 50 millimeter wide tire front and back. Uh, I bought mine in the middle of the gravel bike uh, surge and development and craze, and they hadn't quite committed to doing that yet. So mine will allow like a 48 in the front if you're doing a 700C wheel. And it all depends on how big you are too. If you're a big heavy person and you want a little bit more tire, because what I've noticed is it's all fine and good and you can be like, oh, all I need is this and all I need is that. That's, I don't need whatever size tire until you ride in sand. <laughs> and you don't know when there's gonna be sand is the problem. And if you sink in sand or it takes your front wheel and spins it sideways, you're screwed and then you're walking. And uh, some of our local gravel races have pockets of sand. And you say, well, I'll just, you know, gain speed and just go through it. No, I'm talking like hundreds of feet long, possibly uphill. I mean, you got to actually, you know, pedal your way through this stuff. And it's not often, but it's just enough where it's like, oh, this sucks. So I've. I went up in tire size, up in tire size, up in tire size until I figured out that at 50 millimeters wide, I actually float enough over the sand for it not to uh, bring my bike to a halt. I don't have to get off and walk. Okay, there's that. Uh, and then what's real, oh, the other thing that's really cool is the wider your frame, it's been shown with aerodynamics that it might actually be better when your tire's spinning and your tire's dragging air with it as it's spinning and fighting the air, uh, if you have a narrow tolerance where the tire meets the frame and goes through, like say the front forks, for example, well, the air can't pass through and so it's cramming it in there and that causes resistance and it slows you down. So actually, you'll see uh, on track bikes, there's a bike called the Hope or Hope brand of track bike. And the seat stays and fork stays are extremely wide out at the frame, where they meet the frame. And that's on purpose to let air pass through. So going up with a wider frame is one, more aerodynamic and wider frame tolerance at the, uh, the bottom bracket is uh, better for aerodynamics and then if you don't like it, then you don't need that width, just size down. Kai and I have the exact same bike frame and he rides, I think 38s, cause he's 160 pounds. And I ride as big as I can fit in there because I'm at around 200 pounds. <laughs> We're riding together on the same roads and he doesn't sink in sand and I was, and I was like, and how are you riding through this? He goes, I don't know. Why are you sinking, fatty? <laughs> and uh, I'm talking about well. And the uh, that's the thing on the on the on the uh, tire width. Okay. So next on gravel bikes, you want some front suspension. You don't need rear suspension on gravel. You can do that with with tire volume. 
no problem. And oh, they found that with the fatter your tire, the faster you actually roll anyway. It's like, so why would you, why wouldn't you do this? You know, it's more like the chunkiness of the tread is going to slow you down. So you just do like semi slicks. So you want a little bit of front suspension. And I've got a really good story about how I came across uh, what works with front suspension. But I'm here in my meeting, so I'll have to pick that up here in a little bit. It's really, really interesting. So I'll be right back. Oh, I remember what it was. <laughs> with the helmet and the, uh, the shell and the orange one with the holes in it. Go to Instagram and scroll back uh, quite a few weeks, and you'll see River, my book, wearing it on his head. Uh, helmet tester, looks like, to make sure that the full helmet. All right, be right back. Hello. All right, leaving the pool. Training log, start date, April 12th. I got it right this time. Well, my shoulders were sore this morning, so I swam a little bit slower than usual. But my theory on why my shoulders have been sore, actually the past two swims, is... I've been spending more time in the aero position on my tri bike. It's on the trainer right now. I have a Trek speed concept. I've got a super bike. And I'm putting stuff in my truck here. <laughs> my super, super truck. My truck is so cool. I'm going to do, I'll talk about it on uh, future shows, but. It's also going to be the death of me financially. Um, but, man, it's cool. It's almost worth it. Where's this clip? I'm looking for a carabiner. And so when I was doing pretty much all mountain biking all the time, when I was coaching Kai's team, I spent so little time in the aero position, almost zero. I kind of got unused to it. And like I think I mentioned previously, like... I became the god of aero position. Aero position. Spend five hours at a pop aero position. No problem. You can adapt to that. Lots of power, too. So, very actually comfortable and relaxed. So, it's... And then more power in aero position than sitting upright. Which is a thing people think is not possible, but it is. That's how much time I spent in aero position. But, anyway. So, I wouldn't say my position on the tri-bike is slammed. It's just competitively low and I got somebody blocking traffic behind me here and oh yeah I was looking for my headset case there it is and hold on getting out of the parking lot and getting back into that air position uh, on the gravel bike one of the trip tricks to set up, I forgot to mention last time, was uh, don't set your aero bars very low because it's gravel, so you do need uh, quite a bit more control over the bike, so being like super low like you would on a tri-bike is, um, oh shit, I just spilled coffee, and uh, it's not the most useful, I got a low fuel light, everything's going wrong, <laughs> the uh, there's worse things to spill in your car than coffee. Coffee makes your car smell good. 
so just to be in the arrow position at all is a huge time savings it's uh, many minutes over an hour and quite a few and so you don't need it to be like super low so as i've been getting in the gravel and being air position on that it's still not as low as the true air position for triathlon and when i started trying to get back into it again it was a long and difficult process and what i started doing was on very long descents uh, getting in the arrow position on the bike where I didn't have to pedal very much. So you're kind of like stretching out the muscles. And just used to get into, into the position first. Then put down power later. And I've gained weight, so my gut's kind of in the way a little bit. <laughs> to pedal with your knees out just a little bit. and uh, uh, But that's largely going away. And the... Uh, spending more and more and more time in aero position i tend to ride the same course over and over and over again in zwift uh, which is for another episode the perfect triathlon training course in zwift. and so what i do is you know with landmarks spend you know another minute in aero position longer than before and then another minute longer than before um I'm starting to ride air position on the flats instead of just on the downhills and putting down power and stuff like that. Maybe rare occasion climbing in air position. And anyway, so I've been increasing that. And one of the magical rules of long distance ultra is you can only let's just say endurance sports. I got a I got a comment on my Instagram that somebody said they quit following me when I started talking so much about ultra. And I guess I just talk about it a little bit too much, but ultra to me is like not, it's just like being awesome in general, doing any kind of endurance. But yeah, I think it could, that could have the connotation of like mega endurance. So let's start switching that just to more endurance. The rule of endurance is you try to only change one thing at a time. And I learned that from bike fitting. Um, if you change your saddle position and your handlebar height and, uh, I don't know, your <laughs> several things, your cleats, well, you've changed so many things, you don't know actually what worked and what didn't. And then, so you change one thing, one centimeter at a time, which is a, a little bit draconian, but that's, that's uh, the general rule. And then you know if it worked or not, and then you continue from there. A uh, great place to do a bike fit is on the trainer, by the way, while riding Zwift. You can easily tell, because it's a controlled environment, if it's faster or not, whatever you did. And also with heart rate and power. And so you can see more power or same power at same heart rate or lower heart rate. Um, in a, what's probably a more aerodynamic position or a better, more comfortable position. Anyway. So I'm like, man, my shoulders hurt unusually much. Your natural instinct is, well, is to keep swimming just as hard as you were before, same pace, you know, and it hurts. And it's, and then when I realize, well, I'm trying to improve something else, somewhere else, trying to improve aero position, which puts stress on your shoulders when you're not used to it yet. It makes your shoulders kind of hurt a little bit, but that's short-lived. As you adapt to the position, it, it goes away. So back off of trying to hold your pace. It's okay. Uh, you swim by feel and effort, and if it freaking hurts more than usual, well, then that you're going too hard. So back off, and um, you can't sustain that harder swim pace 
while trying to drop your error position. So that was kind of interesting observation. And then, uh, I also rode an hour last night on Zwift watching Perry Roubaix. And they have the women's now for on the third year and the men's. Uh, just insane amount of crashes. It's crazy to watch. And what I did is I waited a few days and eventually NBC possibly puts out um, like 35 to 45 minute long highlight uh, videos on YouTube. And then those are great to watch because you get, those are extended, it's called extended highlights. So instead of being like three or five minutes, you get quite a bit of really the juiciest parts of the bike race without too much rush of them going through it. So you don't really miss much. And so I watched the women's and then a little bit of the men's. And I also watched a video of a hub. Um, If you Google scope is a brand, um, scope hub inflation or inflate, it's got a pump in it powered by you is powered by the wheel as you roll along that can re-inflate the tire a little bit, quite a bit, uh, while you're riding. And then it has a remote, and you can let air out, and you can push air back in. So you're changing density. So I watched a video on that. It's pretty cool. We'll see if that comes around to... Uh, they used it in Paris-Roubaix for the first time, um, but more of like for testing and stuff like that. It did not end up being a crucial factor yet, but I could totally see it being that way. Because I change when I ride my gravel bike, I ride a lot of pavement in between, so it's very Perry Roubaix-ish. That's it, fifty-fifty gravel and uh, pavement. So tire pressure would be uh, very interesting to be able to change on the fly. And anyway, back to gravel. I wanted to talk for a second about the um, front suspension. So my first dedicated gravel bike, well, first few bike gravel bike rides with Kai, I rode my hardtail mountain bike and it's an Orbea Alma Alba. And then it's got, um, it happens to have the RockShox fork on the front that has a remote lockout remote on the handlebars. So you can actually lock out the front suspension. So I would lock out the front suspension while riding on pavement. It's fantastic by the way, for racing a mountain bike. Because you take off on a cross-country race, usually hard and slightly uphill. Uh, that way they can kind of thin out the pack before you hit the trail. You do it less on a fire road. And that's when you lock out your suspension and just hammer and you're way faster. But anyway, and then I would, uh, on the rough stuff and on the descents, I would turn the suspension back on, the front suspension, and it would be just smooth. I was able to descend faster, have better control. I was not beat up. Oh, shit. I think I just took a wrong turn. I was not beat up on the uh, on the ride uh, at all, right? And then I said, okay, let's build up a gravel bike. And I have an old Nishiki, um, kind of like a town bike hybrid ATB is what they called it. It was a brief period. But it's a 700 uh, C, uh, centimeter wheel. And so basically a 29er, it's kind of funny that this existed in the 90s. And it has flat bars on it. And I've actually raced on it and did a little bit of mountain biking on it. So I I have an old, um, really cheap, really, really cheap uh, suspension fork on the front. And I put that on the front. That was already on the front. And we switched out the flat bars and put drop bars on it. And I started riding that thing for like half a year, I think. 
as a gravel bike. And so that's how I started, right? With a little bit of front suspension, like a, maybe an inch and a half or something like that, a front suspension of shitty front suspension, but still front suspension. And so that's what I was used to starting off on gravel, right? And I'm like, and I got a few, a few comments. Hey, you got front suspension on that thing? But nobody really cares. Gravel's like a, a shit show. <laughs> anyway, so and, uh, people are still trying to figure it all out, right? So then after a few months, many months of riding that thing, um, Kai said, Kai was now on his really nice gravel bike. He's got a vast magnesium gravel bike, dedicated gravel bike, rides beautifully, um, nice and fast. And then um, he said that he wished that I had a gravel bike so I could keep up with him, like a real dedicated gravel bike. Because my old Nishiki was kind of poor with um, gearing. You know, I didn't have very low gearing on it. And so it was hard to climb and stuff like that. And it's kind of heavy and stuff. So I got the exact same bike Kai got. Got a vast magnesium, which is amazing frame material, by the way. Uh, I'm having to stop because somebody's backing a massive trailer into the road. It's fine by me. I can wait. I'll put on my hazards while he figures this out. And then, um, and it's a, it's a classic regular gravel bike. That's the standard right now. And it's not like super expensive. They're the really expensive ones now are starting to come with a little bit of suspension on them. So it had zero suspension on it. And so I took it out riding and, you know, I rode pavement to the, uh, the first section of gravel, like quite a few miles of pavement. Oh, it's so beautiful. Ride so nice so great and then I hit gravel and so so this is my first time on a gravel bike riding gravel with no suspension just by circumstance but look at the draw and it was so ridiculously stupid I was like what in the hell like it hurt it vibrated the crap out of me um I have an old fracture in my left forearm and it re- uh, rebroke the fracture in my left forearm. And it's not, it's not the, um, it's not, it's not the terrain so much. It's not gravel, you know, whatever. It's the surprise hits that you're taking. So the a gravel surface is very unpredictable. So you're riding along, riding along and it's, 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 you know, rough surface and a little bumpy, but you're cool with that. And that's not the problem. You reach down for a water bottle or you're looking at a random animal that's in the pasture, you know, next to you. There's an owl or a hawk or something freaking cool. And then there's a a pothole because it's gravel or a big rock or something like that that you didn't you couldn't tell because it's all the same color. <laughs> and you hit it hard enough and it's jarring like and it can make you lose control. And then and then the uh, and so the, those impacts were pretty ridiculous and then the other one was the um i'm going to park here there we go the other one was that was ridiculous not ridiculous so that was ridiculous but the other thing that i noticed is going downhill was way sketchier like on a long descent what you get in gravel you get these long descents and i wasn't able to go as fast 
because the bike is jittery and and skipping and hopping across the gravel uh, when I was uh, at high speeds going downhill. Okay, I got to go into the orifice, but I'll catch back up with y'all on what I did to solve this problem. And it worked really, really well, and it's really inexpensive. So I'll be right back. Bang. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing. Dude, is this thing recording through the car? <laughs> All right, I'm leaving the bike shop, and I just noticed something. This recording might be recording through my car's car phone, whatever, audio connection to take a, whatever, Bluetooth phone calls, whatever. Any, anyway, we're going to have to test this out, see how the sound quality is. That's very interesting. I'm just leaving the bike shop where Kai works. Uh, it's actually on my way home from work, and so I really enjoy going by and seeing him. It's some of the joys of living in a smaller town. I um, grew up a lot of my life, uh, Cincinnati, Nashville, those aren't really huge towns, but then in Houston, which is a massive town, and uh, hardly ever got to see my family during the weekday. And then I was off at boarding school at military school for two years. And um, I remember my dad was able to see one of my football games ever. And weekends were different, you know, do stuff together as a family on weekends a lot. But just the day-to-day stuff, it's so cool. I was in elementary school. I was able to leave work and, you know, drive five, not five minutes, ten minutes to go see, like, the end of his school year, little sing-alongs and stuff like that. And there's, like, no way my mom or dad could have done stuff like that when I was growing up in Houston because of the distances. And uh, the fact that I can go by and see Kai at his after school job on my way home from work. It's just so quaint and cool and just nice. So uh, he was uh, airing up the front suspension on a mountain bike and calling a customer to let them know that their brakes are still squealing even after he worked on them and is going to need new brake pads, which is kind of neat that he's making these uh, these uh employment opportunities for himself in life anyway back to the gravel bike so i'm really dealing with this jarring shattering painful uh problem on my full-on gravel bike and i've just come from a gravel bike with front suspension uh that was fine and so I'm like, okay, well, I need to figure out some sort of front suspension on this gravel bike. Well, a uh, suspension fork uh, is a lot of money for very little travel if you get one of these new gravel suspension forks. And they don't lock out, by the way, which is, uh, to me, a huge miss because you do not need suspension on pavement. And especially if you've got fatter tires, you definitely don't need suspension. And then, uh, and then they add a lot of weight, and then they need maintenance and all this other stuff. I've already got a, I've got a full suspension mountain bike. 
and you got to get the suspension, you know, like looked at and redone on the regular. And I just don't want that, you know. I've already got enough of that. So the next thing is uh, looking at other suspension methods. And back in back in the old days, I remember I had a suspension seat post on my hardtail mountain bike, uh, you know, in the 90s. And suspension stems uh, in my garage somewhere. I've got a really old, like, kind of like soft ride brand suspension stem. I don't know what brand it is exactly. But, oh, I'm going to get behind this 18-wheeler. There we go. Woo! And then, let me turn on my smart cruise control, which I love. That way I know I won't hit the car in front of me. And... Suspension stems came and went as an option because they were still, like, too springy and people weren't all that happy with them. Um, and I've got, like I said, like this old one in my garage, really heavy. So, I don't know, probably works fine, but not as fine as people want. And then, uh, in all the news the past few years has been this brand called Redshift, who makes a suspension stem and a suspension seat post, but the real killer product is the suspension stem and people just raving about it. And it's got an elastomer in it, so there's no oil and shock kind of system that needs maintenance, so it's basically maintenance-free. Um, it fits, it, it looks just like a regular stem. It fits inside the regular stem profile so you don't even really notice it from the looks of your bike. And then what it does is it gives you about an inch of suspension in the handlebars. And that's, uh, so then your bike's rigid uh, from the, um, you know, from the frame on down. So when you put down power on pavement, it's still pretty rigid and accelerates just fine and performs just fine, and again, on gravel, you really don't need that much suspension. You need hardly any suspension at all, but you do need some, is my opinion, having been there and then gone back. And it, and in all the reviews, they're like, it just, it takes the edge off of hard impacts. You barely notice it, but then when you hit something bigger, then it's nice. It doesn't freaking make you lose control of the bike. It's like, this is kind of exactly what I need. So they're like 150 bucks. They make two models. They make like a more expensive one. And uh, my viewpoint on things is if you're a bigger person, you buy the burlier stuff and just be safe. And you don't even notice anyway because of your weight. Percentage-wise, it makes no difference to the weight you're already carrying around. So I bought the regular one. And it's got, it comes with a different sets of elastomers, like say five different elastomers, I forgot how many. And then you try different combinations of the elastomer until you get it just what you like. At first, you know, riding around, I had it too soft. And you could tell because if you start pedaling, it starts bobbing up and down in the handlebars. And you don't want that just from, you know, medium effort pedaling. And then, um, put in the last we're here, last we're there, whatever, kind of figured it out. And then what it is, is 
it's nearly imperceptible if you're just pedaling along. Uh, and then uh, if you hit a pothole, it very much takes the edge off of it. And then there's no maintenance. And so you, you like you barely notice it unless it gets really rough. So that's how you dial in the elastomers. Um, so setup uh, took like half an hour probably. And, and it's fun working on my bike, you know. Now I've got some front suspension. And also, if you're riding the aero bars on your gravel bike, then um, you want some front suspension because you don't want to be bumped around and then be knocked if you're on gravel and then be knocked out of your aero bars. And I'm going to. Hello. OK, back. I had to take a phone call from Emily. So then when you ride uh, in the aero bars on gravel, uh, and I, I mentioned I'm going to do a bit on a show for a little bit about how to ride and uh and aero bars and gravel because there's just all there's all this like debate about whether gravel bars should be used on um on gravel whether aero bars should be used on gravel bikes and it's so dumb because people have been using aero bars on gravel bikes for like 50 years because they're called comfort bars and because when you do really long rough extended rides you want a, a, a completely different position and they're called it's that's one of the places that aero bars actually came from so um and then what you do is you just don't ride in your aero bars when you're around anybody if you're behind somebody you don't want to be in your aero bars because you can't get to your brakes if you're in a group don't ride in your aero bars because it makes other people nervous that you're right next to them doesn't matter how good you are just ride upright and it's fine right and then a lot of gravel riding is solo, a lot, because you get it, there's the, the gravel riding is so long and the terrain is uh, more unforgiving. So people, you know, get broken up into little little groups and then solo. So if you're if you're a group if you're in a group of like three or four people and you're taking turns, ride aero bars when you're in the front if the gravel's smooth. You know, um, don't ride aero bars when you're going downhill on fast gravel because it's too, it's too dangerous to, to control. Um, you don't ride aero bars when you're going uphill because you're going so slow. There's no point in being in them. And uh, you don't ride aero bars when you go into turns. And you don't ride aero bars whenever it's like rough gravel. You just ride it when it's like what they call champagne gravel. That's in, when you're kind of by yourself in mellow terrain, which is about 50% of the time. So anyway. I'll cover that more in another episode. My experiences with dealing with people with that. It's so unusual that people have a problem with that. Um, and it's its because most gravel people come from road background. They don't come from triathlon background. We in triathlon are totally fine with it. Anyway, so what I noticed is riding the aero bars in uh, very, uh, very mild to medium mild gravel, nice straightaways, like whatever, is actually in, in the aero bars is actually completely doable. And um, what you do is you spread the aero bars out um, a little bit more than you would on a tri bike. You know, on tri real tri bikes, you look at the pictures of these pros and their elbows are almost touching each other because they're trying to get so narrow. That is not a good idea on gravel. What you do is you spread out the aero bar pads, the elbow pads, like really far, farther than you would on a regular tri bike. And then that gives you the stability you need. 
Um, and you're still getting a ton of benefit from the arrow position. And then what I noticed was uh, I was I put clip on arrow bars on my uh, on my gravel bike, right? Well, the pads on the arrow bars were old and kind of blown out. And uh, the next thing I did was something that I actually recommend to people to do on their triathlon bike for pavement all the time is as soon as you wear down your stock pads to where they're just, you know, you put a couple few hundred miles on them and you're kind of like, man, this, um, there's got to be something better. You order the, or find in a bike shop, a brand called CGs, C-E-E-G-E-E-S. And what they are is like three quarter inch thick, um, neoprene. And it is the cushiest, softest material. And because you're putting your weight on your elbows, now you're adding another three quarters inch of suspension into your elbows, uh, when you're in the arrow bar position. So it ends up being super comfortable on gravel in the arrow bar, in the Trafley, uh, arrow position. And that's probably about 90% of converting your uh, gravel bike into a, a triathlon-ish uh, grab, uh, bike so that you can do your gravel rides on. Uh, so you can do, you can turn your gravel rides into long distance uh, triathlon training rides, right? It works fantastic. I've been doing it for about a year and I'll do three, four hour rides and I'll spend 50% of the time in the arrow position and I'm comfortable. I've got, um, lots of padding in the elbow. Lots, I got sort of front suspension, you know, with the stem and then the elbow pads, the suspension stem and the elbow pads. And it works. It works really, really, really great. And, um, I feel like that my long rides are now being um, uh, useful on gravel for uh, triathlon training. Okay, that's it for right now. I am going to uh, pull into the driveway at the house and check this audio to see how it recorded on my truck. I've got a Bluetooth microphone that also I need to do some retesting on. Uh, when I first started doing this podcast, I actually recorded while I was on the bike. And you get all the audio of like being out there in the in the uh, in the wilderness, like riding cars going by, uh, motorcycles, not the wilderness, out on the open road. And uh, it's really really cool. And I bought a crappy one for cheap off of Amazon, and it it worked briefly and then stopped working. So uh, I put it away. And then now that I've started, that was about uh, half a year ago. And then now that I'm uh, putting out shows again on the regular, I want to look at that thing and see if I can. And on tap is tomorrow morning, probably, I'm going to run with my dog, with River. And then I'm going to uh, probably bike again in the afternoon and watch more the end of the men's um, Paris-Roubaix. And I had a funny thought about uh river when i was talking about about him earlier that um (laughs) he's uh he's half german shepherd you know and so and he acts ridiculous 
uh, a lot of the time, but you can tell he's like super, super smart, right? But also he's like very emotional and talkative and, 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 uh, high maintenance in a way. Kind of like a husky, you know, huskies are always talking and like complaining and, and whatever. They're very vocal. And then, uh, the funny thing about, uh, about River is, you know, they say that, uh, German shepherds are very trainable, right? Well, he's half German shepherd. And I thought, well, then he's half trainable. And I'm like, no, uh, he's, is he trainable? Uh, kinda. We have, we have a lot of trouble with him trying to attack the cat and also now trying to chase cars. <laughs> and now trying to attack the guy on the, uh, on the, uh, recumbent that we have riding around our neighborhood. When he goes by, River goes to the end of his leash trying to attack and He's not really a mean dog, so it's all it's all bluff. It's just scary barking. And so I thought, no, he's half of very trainable, which means he's just very. <laughs> so he's very, very, like all the freaking time. Anyway, I'm going to cut off right now and pull in and go actually take River for a short walk and have some fun time with my dog. All right, out, bing. All right, we are finishing up a 6.2 mile run. You know, everybody's got weird <laughs> numbers they like to hit. I want to do a six mile run, but then I just want to do a little bit extra to make sure that I can say that I really did it. And it's just convenient that 6.2 this is a 10k so we're going up our street i usually would have stopped by now but i had to pause for a second and turn on this recorder so i was listening to two podcasts come on 6.18 come on 6.19 6.2 okay My pace was a little slower this time because I set my watch to auto pause when stopped and it loses a little bit of mileage. Running with a dog, you got to stop way more often than if you do running by yourself. They want to pee and poop and sniff. And then what was the next thing? Oh, there's a podcast. It'll be on my Instagram. Uh, something, something for the time crunched cyclist and it's kind of bluish and yellow maybe cover with a cyclist sprinting view from the side anyway i'm huge on integrating strength training into your training but not in the way that a lot of people think which i'll get into in a future episode but he was talking about a phrase that either i've heard and forgotten or i've never heard before reps in reserve rir and that's actually what I've been doing my whole life. And it really, really works. The reason people don't do one set, you know, is you're going to get yourself injured. It's a big guess on if you're going to be able to do that one set. And half the time you're going to fail. And half the time it's not enough. Maybe 0.01% is exactly right. <laughs> so 
what you do instead is sets. You do like three sets, four sets of close to it, but not to failure, not to your max. And it turns out that that actually makes you, uh, improves your strength without uh, the risk of injury because you're not going to your max. And then it also, um, in the long run, not very long run either, doesn't take very long, you get stronger than if you were doing max because you're not getting injured and you're doing the exact right amount. But RIR is reps and reserve. So if you're going to do, you're planning on maybe like the max of, of doing 15 sets, 15 reps, sorry, 15 reps. And then you get to like 12 and you can tell, man, I'm only going to be able to do like one or two more. You stop at 12 <laughs> because you know that you're going to blow out if you go all the way and you're not going to be able to do another set. Anyway, there's that. And that was a good run, River. Lots of thoughts while I was running that I'll catch up with you on the drive into W to the ERK. Out, bang. All right, we're back. Just real quick. The house we live in now has a uh, small swimming pool in the back. And even though it's getting really hot here in Texas, the pool is really freaking cold. <laughs> so I jump in a lot of times, and I'm a filthy animal, and uh, use it to cool off and actually to bathe a little bit. I got chlorine shampoo, and I'll rinse my armpits and soap up my, uh, my running shorts while I'm uh, get out, of, get, jump in the pool, jump back out, soap up, jump in the pool to uh, rinse back off again. And that's not my real shower for the day, but it's uh, something to keep my equipment cleaner. I clean my visor. So that's where I'm at. You can hear the, the waterfall to the pool. It's tiny. It's a tiny little pool. Cannot uh, swim laps in the thing. But I grew up as a lifeguard, but I always wanted my own pool where I could not be told that I need to go home. <laughs> so for many, many reasons, you know, like thunder, lightning, and and that's. Uh, Sunday morning, so it's not open until noon or one. So when we found this house, we jumped on it. It's a, a little bit of an older house now, and so it's been a project at times. The air conditioning system going out, needed a new roof past few years. So it's not that amazing. It is a nice little neighborhood, though, with a jogging trail, and the trees are growing in, so you get some shade. It's generally quiet, and it's on the edge of town, so we have access to road biking relatively easy uh every year it gets harder and harder as the town grows and then throw in another stoplight a little bit more traffic and on the upside though they add more bike paths and whatever but the thing i was thinking about was i've got this weekend to myself because kai and emily are at the pro cup in uh, arkansas so I can kind of do what I want training wise. And what's really cool about being a multi-sport athlete and being on top, there's, <laughs> it's one to be a multi-sport athlete, another one to be on top of your training and capable of switching and doing, uh, having been coached or having done this long enough, you can kind of feel like what you should do next. And so this morning I'm running along, and I do this on occasion. I decide what I'm going to do next based on how I feel and what I'm doing now. And I am uh, running along thinking, well, I could do four hours to both days, Saturday and Sunday. 
Um, it's getting kind of hot, so I could run in the mornings, and then I don't want to swim over the weekend. I already swam 12,000-something yards this week. So I could run an hour each morning, and that would actually be an increase in my running by just a little bit. Uh, Saturday and Sunday morning, well, it's dark, which I've already got out of the way today, and then bike in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, man, being out there in the sun and stuff, and then I thought, oh, I could mountain bike in the afternoon. So I need to check to see if the trail system's open, and our local trail system, the one that's close to me, has this wonderful thing where I can go on Twitter and check their feed. So we're going to do that right now once I find my Twitter Ever since Elon Musk took that thing over, I hardly ever go there because it's so freaking terrible. But I do post to it and check on my stuff. I used to, you know, cruise through. It used to be great. Go see what's going on. And But now it's full of just garbage. Let's see. Hey, there's Amelia Boone. Where's my searches? It should save my uh, common searches. I guess it's not. Come on, Search. Hit search. Hit search. There you go. Oh, and also since he fired like 90% of the staff, it runs like crap now. BVMBA trail status. Millican trails are open. And that was posted yesterday. So I think by this afternoon, we had a little bit of rain come through, but by this afternoon, it'll be uh, open again. So I'm going to go mountain biking and do this in honor of Kai's racing. I can't be there. I'm going to go mountain bike myself and do like three hours. Um, I can't carry three hours of water and fuel on me while mountain biking, but uh, what I can do is do two loops, do an hour and a half. <laughs> mountain biking's funny. I've noticed by the time I do, I'm on that third hour. I'm like, you know what? I'm done, which is nice because I can just quickly go back to the to the uh, car. Also, when uh, you get really good at endurance training, you can kind of tell, and you should do this, cut it when, when you're done. When it's over and you're not getting any more improvement out of this, you're not enjoying yourself anymore, cut it short. Uh, that's a uh, really smart way to train and set up your training routes so that you can end it or cut them short if things aren't going uh, well and you're not having fun anymore. Because you want to train uh, for life, not just for to be a hero today. All right, be right back. Out. Oh, real quick, I wanted to interject. I was re-listening to this, and people were like, what the heck? No, the reason I jump in and out of the pool is because it reminds me of all the times that I've been backpacking, like high-adventure backpacking, where you do multi-day trips carrying all your gear and all your water up into the mountains of uh, northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, the Appalachia Trails, Ozark Highlands Trail, where um, you're several days without uh, you know, bathing and you have biodegradable soap with you and the water's cold and it feels so good. One, just to soak your feet in a stream after hiking all day. It's, you're carrying like a 40-pound pack all day for like eight hours, you know, and this is like real, real rough, extreme camping, backpacking. And the, uh, the thing to do is you jump in a stream, 
get back out of the stream because you don't want to be in it too long because it's freaking cold because it's snow melt usually a lot of times. And then you soap up and then jump back in and rinse off real quick. And a lot of times you do it in the clothes that you're wearing or the clothes that you want to clean the most because it actually works really well. And I've been doing this for quite a few years with uh, running shorts, bike shorts. I come in from a really hot bike ride, jump in the pool in the backyard, and then um, I'll be able to wear my shorts one more day because I've uh, soaked them up and, and cleaned them while I'm uh, in the backyard. And we go, our yard is, is fenced and treed, so like nobody can see in. And I just, I don't know who it was, but somebody famous. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were saying that they do that in the shower. You know, they come in from the workout and then they go right into the shower wearing their running gear, I think, or maybe their cycling gear and soap and shower while, oh, it was the Trainer Road podcast and they have pros and stuff on there. They shower while wearing their gear and it cleans their gear at least for one more ride. And then I actually keep a mental track of, of how many times I've worn stuff. And I've, after twice, then it needs to go in the real laundry. But I can get one more use out of it uh, doing that. And then the other thing is it reminds me of my childhood and the really good times of backpacking. And I've done, uh, when I was a teenager... In Scouts, I did two of those really long, high-adventure backpacking trips, one at Philmont, one in Colorado. And then uh, I did, in my 20s and 30s, did two more of those on the Ozark Highlands Trail where we took a shower in a waterfall. So freaking cool. I mean, like, we didn't see anybody for four days. And it was me and and, uh, a different person each time. And then... The last two times is again back to Philmont in New Mexico as the scoutmaster for a Boy Scout troop. And, you know, people stink. Like, what do I do? <laughs> it's like, dude. And nobody wants to take their clothes off, you know, because it's scouts and you shouldn't do that anyway. So it's like, dude, jump in the creek, get, out, get all wet, grab some soap, soap yourself up underneath your clothes. And then we build a fire, actually, in the meantime, sometimes, if it's a cold day, so that you, uh, and then jump back in, rinse off, and again, this is all with nature-safe uh, biodegradable soap, it's okay, and then jump back out, and then uh, your clothes are all rinsed out, you're nice and clean, go sit by the fire, and everything's great. It's a really, really cool thing. So I wanted to interject that real quick. That this isn't just like crazy and that actually it's, uh, there's a point behind it. And um, a lot of people do it in different ways. And actually, I suggest it if you want to save your equipment. Washing your really expensive bike shorts and running shorts and r- cycling jerseys is uh, going to tear them up over time. Washing them every single time. So you can get like two uses out of things by jumping into the shower. If you don't have a pool, jump in the shower and then um, soap up with the gear on in the shower and then take the gear off, rinse off, get rinse the, the stuff out and then hang it on a, on a dry line somewhere 
And then in a day or, or two, it'll be nice and dry and you can wear it one more time. <laughs> Works great. Been doing it for years. All right. Back to the show. One thing I forgot to add, <laughs> to put in later, and I think I'm going to have to do this a lot. It would be a change to the show where the things that I forgot to say, I just record them at the end and then interject them in the uh, throughout the show. It would be kind of funny if I do it consistently. People really like shows if they have something that happens all the time and they can rely on it. It's, they tune in and just wait for it to happen again. So it's actually not that bad. Is another reason that I would mountain bike in the afternoon is it turned out to be really sunny this afternoon. And mountain biking around here offers double to triple the amount of sun protection as opposed to riding outdoors, maybe 80 to 90% more sun protection than riding on the road outdoors. The, uh, the terrain where I live is prairie. So we get very few situations of trees overhanging the streets when you're out on the open road, riding around the countryside, you know, my neighborhood, we get some of it because people plant trees and they water them and stuff like that. But out there you can go long, long times without any shade. And I really miss of where I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama and Tennessee, East Tennessee near the Smoky Mountains where it's just thick pine forests. So when I do ride in East Texas, which is thick pine forests, it really brings me back. I, I love it a lot and think about how much more time I could spend outside without sun exposure. But anyway, if it's going to be a really sunny afternoon and I'm going to be riding three hours in the afternoon, mountain biking is actually a really great idea because I can ride most of the time without uh, any sunscreen and not really worry about it as opposed to riding in the uh, in the full sun the entire time out on the road. Even, you know, gravel biking is still the same thing. It's better, but it's still not like riding mountain biking. And something also that people might not know that one reason to have a mountain bike is you can ride in the winter and be warmer. So you get a lot of more uh, trees here in the woods and that slows down the wind. So it's not as cold as riding in the open on the open road. And also with mountain biking, you're not going as fast. So you don't get the uh, wind speed, the wind chill effect anywhere near as much. And it's also steeper. So you're generating more heat. So I found that on the worst days in the winter of cold, as long as the trails aren't muddy, that uh, mountain biking allows you to get in some outdoor riding and not freeze to death as much as you would as if you were out on the open road. You know, doing 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes into a headwind on the open road <laughs> at 15 to 20 miles an hour and just shivering and your toes going numb. That just does not happen uh, mountain biking in the winter. You get uh, lots of twists. You don't get the same headwind at all for more than just a, maybe a couple of minutes. If you if you get a headwind, it's, in, it's almost imperceptible because you're in the forest. And so it's just really nice. Really, really, really nice. Now you're shaded, which does keep things cooler, 
but it doesn't seem to matter anywhere near as much as the wind effect does. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, we are back. Star date, April 15th, Saturday afternoon. Getting to be later afternoon. Th- almost three o'clock. No, almost two o'clock. <laughs> it's not that late. But it's going to get late because I'm taking you with me to go mountain biking, hopefully for three hours. We'll see. And drinking fluids on the way to hydrate. And I'm going to describe all the equipment and stuff I've got with me. And first off, in my drink, even though I'm drinking a Diet Coke, it's got caffeine and stuff in it. I've got a, I think it's a quarter teaspoon. I'll have to look if it's a quarter or a half. I'll get to all that in a little bit. The of a sodium citrate. And then I have two camelbacks. I have the camelbacks that are like 72 ounces. So basically, what is that? Just over two liters each. Uh, they match. And when I do a loop and then get back to the vehicle, I can pick up another camelback. I actually do that in mountain bike marathon races, which are 44 miles long. And a lot of times they're loops. And eventually you get to a loop where you can swap it out and Camelback makes a quick detach hose where you can pop the hose out. So I leave the hose all strapped to the shoulder strap and such. I'm waving another Texas truck on. He can go ahead. I'm not in a rush at this little intersection. And let me turn up the fan a little bit. It's a little cool in here. I'm in my uh, fancy truck that pickup trucks now mid-range have air-conditioned seats which i think they should just call that the texas package they have texas edition everything i'm like when i got my new truck i did not want to get one without air-conditioned seats i wanted a smart cruise control air-conditioned seats and i I had oh i'm on four-wheel drive with a rear locker those of you that know what that is it's pretty cool we'll get in that another show what vehicle do you automatically assume is being driven by a total asshole? Dodge Ram. Giant white truck. Dodge Rams always seem to be driven by aggressive assholes. A Dodge Ram pickup truck. God, they think they can do whatever the f*** they want. Bonus points if it's a sparkling white truck. Lifted trucks with high beams on. It's like staring at the sun. Because Emily got her car... Uh, a couple years before me and she sized up to a full-size vehicle and i was like man i need this she's got a volkswagen atlas and it's got the smart cruise control in it where all the way down to zero miles per hour it'll keep you uh from hitting the car in front of you and that's what i wanted a lot of them uh stop at like 20 miles an hour and then it kicks off and then you're on your own and i was like no i want i call it traffic jam mode (laughs) Anyway, let me get back to the uh, to the equipment on hand. So, in my fuel bottle, I have 300 calories per hour. I'm not planning on using all 300 calories per hour, but we'll see. You never know, so I just got it anyway. And then, in my Camelback, I have this uh, thing called Liquid IV, which is... 
A lot of y'all know what that is. I got it at Costco. And it's got a little bit of sugar in it. I think it's 100 calories. And it's got 500 milligrams of sodium, which is, again, like a scoop of the citric acid. Uh, yeah, citric acid? No. Sodium citrate. That's what I'm saying. And then also in the Camelback, I have another two scoops of sodium citrate. So basically for every like bike water bottle, I have 500 um, milligrams of sodium of some sort. And the mountain bike route I plan on taking is at full on death race pace in cool weather. It takes me just a little over two hours. So what I'm going to do is go easy because it's one, because it's hotter. Also, I haven't ridden this route in a long time. And I've got my bike computer set to uh, just auto pause on stop, like a dead stop. And that's it. And otherwise, I'm going to let it roll uh, without messing with it. I really love, I'm using my Garmin 4 Runner 945 as my bike computer because I have to, which I'll get into in a minute. And I don't want to wear out the buttons. So I'm just going to press go and then just leave it alone and have it auto stop. I just talked to a really good old friend I hadn't talked to in a while. And she's got a Garmin 2 something. And the buttons are intermittent because she's had it five years. But she loves it. So I don't want that same thing to happen to me. It's about 75, 80 degrees. It's probably 80 and really humid right now. And in the middle of the afternoon, mixed clouds. And it's about a 20-minute drive to the mountain bike ranch. What happened with the bike computer is I have a Garmin 520 that, we talked about this kind of stuff on the last show, was the de facto racing bike computer for serious triathletes for a while, up until a few years ago. And the battery life on it now just sucks. It's old enough where, uh, okay, wait, hydrate. It just sucks. Uh, maybe an hour or two. Okay, well, that's fun. And Kai was getting, my 18-year-old uh, super son, was getting to the point where he needed a real bike computer. And it used to be, up until a few years ago, I would give him my old stuff, and then I would get the nice new stuff. And then uh, he is really wanting to win races, and really at the, at the sharp end of the competition. So I quit doing that and started buying him the nice new stuff. And then I, I get his hand. I think that happens at some point. There's some point where your teenager is faster than you. There's also some point where they get the nice stuff and you get the, uh, the crappy stuff with sports equipment because they're faster than you. Anyway, uh, he's got my old car, so we're still on track with that. Anyway, so he had a Garmin. I bought him a brand new Garmin um, 8 something, uh, 5 something. I don't know. But it was, you know, $500 probably. He had it for about three to six months. And when you buy something nice and new for a, a teenager, well, for anybody else, you have to be okay with the fact that they're probably going to lose it. And he, he had it, loved it, workouts coming through it. 
It's the best thing in the world. And he lost it. He left it on the bumper of the car out in nowhere, Texas, at a race. Munster, Texas. If you live near Munster, Texas, let me know. And we'll send you out to where it is so you can try to go find it and see if it's not been eaten by a tractor yet, mowing grass or stolen. And so now he's having to use my old Garmin 520 because we don't have the money to buy him a new bike computer. And we won't for a long time because there's other oddball expenses like he got a speeding ticket, <laughs> which is like two, three, four hundred dollars. I don't know how much it is. And because he was speeding, he was going normal speed, but they put in a construction zone. And but, and since he's using that this weekend, I've act, he's been using it a lot lately. And so I found out this other system where I, I have an old Garmin Phoenix. And what I do is I wear that on my wrist and I have it transmit heart rate off my wrist. And then my Garmin 945, I put on the handlebars of my bike with a, there's like a foamy kind of circular mount you can put on your handlebars. And then that, you wrap your watch around it and it thinks it's like a wrist. So I'm getting heart rate and I've got a decent bike computer. It's not the best, but it works pretty good. The cool thing is 945, has topo maps. I don't really need topo so much, but it's got maps and trails, roads and trails. And in gravel racing, you get lost like a lot, or you could get lost and, or you get turned around or you need to know all kinds of stuff. And random roads way out in the boonies is a really good thing to know. And it shows that. So that's what we're doing right now. Let's see. I have a little ice cooler and I've got a beer in it, a Hopadillo IPA. So that when I finish, I have something to enjoy. I really like doing that. If I do something long and hot, I uh, enjoy a beer at the end. And this ranch we're at uh, for mountain biking is really great. It's really chill, really mellow. The trail, is it 20 miles long? 22 miles long? Ah, hydrate. And... Let's go to the bike. I've got a Canyon Neuron uh, full suspension mountain bike, which was actually Kai's bike first. And then this is another great example. He, uh, I did the math on how much time he was losing. He was barely missing the podium in his races uh, a year ago. And let's say races three laps. I calculated he was losing at least uh, 30 seconds per lap on that bike because it's not a full-blown top-end uh, cross-country bike. And he's just barely missing the podium. So if he had the right bike, he would be on the podium or even winning. And that can make a big difference in somebody's life in their future and what they choose to do with a sport. And we decided to pitch in as a family. Uh, my mom, Kai's grandmother pitched in and we all together <laughs> it took all of us got him a trek super caliber which is the uh, top end cross-country uh, race bikes even got carbon wheels carbon wheels i think are really dumb for mountain biking but these have a two-year crash replacement warranty no questions asked which is pretty great and then kai started winning races immediately <laughs> And 
it's one thing I really am not happy about mountain biking is that it's um, it's a sport where you can buy speed, and a lot of us don't have that kind of money to be spending on that. Oh my goodness, it's not rattle. Okay, we hit the gravel road. We're here at the bike park. There's also people with horses. Looks like they're going to go horseback riding. Oh, I'm going to take off my rings because they end up hurting when I mountain bike. So I've got a full suspension canyon, which is Kai's old bike. I got his old bike. He got the super duper fancy new bike, the million dollar bike, and I got the bike that costs one third as much. But also, in a way, I was really happy to get back on a full suspension. I was riding a hardtail up until then. And I was doing these marathon mountain bike races, and some of them are really rocky, or the worst is really rooty. And it was beating me apart on long races. And uh, the race in Huntsville, which is called Shred Day Roots, it's so rooty. The announcer even said, Oh, we've got a guy on a hardtail. Like, <laughs> As I went through on a lap, and I thought, that's a sign. You need to be back on a full suspension. I used to have a nice full suspension mountain bike for the 90s. And I've had two hardtails since then and just been waiting to get a full suspension. But never really had the money to justify it. Or had the reason to justify the money. But I really got into racing uh, marathon mountain biking. Which is 40-something miles. That'll be double what I do today. And... Uh, when you get to be a little bit older, you can tell that the fatigue of the vibration and banging around actually wears on you. And I don't really think about it as an older, as a getting older thing. It's just with over that distance, the comfort actually will add up and I will be having a better time and a better racer and actually probably go faster. Be able to train more because I won't be banged up as bad uh, with a full suspension. So that's what I'm on today. It's not a cross-country bike. It's a trail bike, which is just, just a bit outside of a cross-country bike. And let's go ahead and shut this rig down. I can talk you through getting ready to ride here for a little bit, as long as I have this hat on, I think. I've got my wireless microphone attached to my hat. <laughs> got a bike. And let's see if there's anything interesting that happens while we're doing this. Uh, one of Kai's coaches is in the parking spot right next to me. If you would call it a parking lot, it's not. It's just a meadow up against a fence. But let's... He might show up and uh, might talk to him a little bit. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm recording for my podcast. He'll be like, podcast? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm a little concerned. The whole time I've been driving, my bike battery has been charging i've got electronic shifting on my mountain bike which is actually you would think that's rare but at the high end of racing kai's race buddies all have that i don't necessarily recommend it i've i definitely recommend electronic shifting for triathlon because you can shift while your hands are on the bullhorns where your brakes are which is really handy, but yes, my gravel bike is mechanical. Um, 
and I don't mind it whatsoever. And also, they won't fail on me in weird ways like this uh, other one has. I took the front wheel off this bike. This bike's so big that to fit it in the back of the truck easily, <laughs> I have to take the front wheel off. So let's let's screw this on and maybe we'll hear the sounds of nature around this. There's a train track that goes pretty close nearby. There's a gravel road across the way that's a few miles out and back. And I actually hold the, uh, come on, come on. I actually hold the calm on it, which is pretty cool. I went crazy when, a couple years ago and started trying to set the calm on, <laughs> on a gravel bike. It was fun. Fun, fun, fun. Okay, now here's the true test to see if it was even worth coming out here. Putting the battery on. Light turned green. Let's ride around in a circle for a moment. Let's see if it should. Yeah, there we go. The upside of electronic is it's always perfectly aligned. And the reason I went electronic was my bike was not perfectly aligned. And it turned out I had a, um, so I had a Jameis Durango before this bike. And this tailgate up right I had a Jameis Durango before this bike. And I could not get the shifting right. And looking back, I bet it was a bent rear derailleur hanger. So no matter what I did, it wasn't going to be right. So when I got my new bike, an Orbea Alma mountain bike, hardtail again, which was a wonderful, wonderful bike, um, I opted for electronic shifting on it because I was sick and tired of always adjusting my uh, chain line somehow. And turns out that probably wasn't even what it was anyway. <laughs> Didn't need adjusting. It needed a new rear derailleur hanger because it had been banged into something. Okay, I'm getting out my helmet. I mountain bike with my road helmet because why not? And let's get out. I do mountain bike with gloves. Kai's weird. He does not use gloves when he a lot. But then they got sponsored by Orange Seal. And one of their things is gloves. And all of a sudden he started wearing his gloves. His orange gloves. Kind of odd how that happened, huh? It's funny watching a, uh, a teenager, what they do for fashion and to show off to other people. Okay. There we go. Here's somebody pulling up in a Subaru. I think they're going to keep on going down the road here. There's more to this place than just the front, the front 40. There's a, oh, I got more water bottles. Good. I, uh, I have a problem whenever I finish riding. I get, um, really, really itchy from pollen. I have severe allergic uh, sensitivity reaction to pollen. And it's fine biking until I stop. And then when I stop, I got about 30 seconds before I guess when my skin starts absorbing it. 
as the uh, moisture starts going the other way <laughs> and it uh okay it starts pulling it in and instead of pushing it away and then i'm screwed okay i'm gonna take a sip of fuel got a hundred calories of simple gatorade and the rest is table sugar which somehow seems to work <sighs> hydrate hydrate oh let's try not to spill everything breath and do i have another koozie in here nope let me take off the microphone for a second i'll be right back i'm gonna put on my jersey Okay, we're back. I'm gonna go ahead and put on my helmet. Put on my helmet and my shoulder my pads. And I put on my helmet, gloves. I've got gloves that are really old, but they keep working. So let's stick with it. And I lubed up my chain already before I left the house with a lube called Muck Off. Aired up my tires before I left the house. I'm going to put my keys in my camelback. So I have my keys with me and I'm able to lock the vehicle. These wireless keys are a bit of a problem because you can't hide it in my I can't hide it in my gas tank because somebody <laughs> when somebody pulls on the door, it'll be like, oh the key's nearby. Go ahead and open it. Dude, it is way hotter than I thought it was going to be. This is uh, not um, not 80 degrees. Okay, we're going to do that. Oh, I'm, doing, I'm doing a thing with my beer to keep it. I'm going to go around to the other side. <clears throat> I try to put on my camelback before I put it on my gloves and things like that. Because... The gloves and a watch and stuff like it will catch on the camelback. Strap. I don't think that was leaking. My old camelback glider, my second one, sprung a leak. And then I used super glue and gorilla tape, or maybe it was flex tape, over the uh, over the, over the hole, and it's it's holding. What I've done is. Put ice, too much ice in. It was too swollen, and uh, well, I don't know if it was too much ice that time, but it uh, dropping it on the ground to um, break up the ice, even though the ground was smooth, still it's not good for it, and it ended up springing a leak. So don't do that. Yeah, I aired up my tires before I left. Like I said, I'm not a bit huge fan of that. I'd rather have a pump in my. Uh, I'd rather have a pump. I'm trying to stay out of the wind here. In the car, we should really do that. We should. Kai should have a pump. I should have a pump, and we should have a pump in the house. Oh, <laughs> I was uh, getting ready to come ride, and I got no chain. I can't find the chain lube. I couldn't find something else. Several things pump 
bike stand. And that's the problem with having uh, two cyclists in the same house and then one of them leaves to go racing. Because all of a sudden you got, they take a lot of the equipment with you and you got to figure out where it is. I um, am one of these people that still rides with, uh, I ride flat pedals on mountain biking because I'm so tall, I found out. I used to ride, and I will on occasion, ride clipless. But my problem is, is that when I fall, I fall badly because I'm so tall. And it's not a good scene. And so I'd rather just be able to bail. And I had a foot injury a few years back, and I had to ride flat pedals on my tri bike. And I, uh, I did the exact same split uh, and won, again, the uh, local Grand Fondo on flat pedals <laughs> instead of clipless pedals. So it really doesn't matter that much. People think it does, but it doesn't. They're nice. And I, I ride clipless, obviously, uh, triathlon and gravel, just uh, to be able to bail quickly on a mountain bike. I ride flat. And then also... My mountain bike only has one bottle cage on it, which I really don't like, and I need to look into getting a second bottle cage. So in the meantime, I'm riding with a flat arrow triathlon water bottle as my second water bottle in my jersey pocket. It turns out it works pretty good, except it's a little much. It'd be nicer if it was on the frame, so I need to do that at some point. I've asked about drilling out the frame to put in the the holes and you get mixed opinions i'm of the opinion and so is at least half the people that it's fine um, and the next year's model and the model up from this has a bottle cage there so the frame's obviously fine with it um, but then there's that whole thing like man am i screwing up the warranty on my or will it crack and this frame needs to last me a long time okay I think that's it. I'm going to turn off the mic, uh, put on some music, and go mountain bike. I wear the over open ear headphones that don't um, don't block your ears. Uh, open Run by Shocks. They're pretty great. All right. We'll be back with a follow-up. See how it went. All right. Thanks a lot for sticking around until the end. I actually cut this show short. I have like an hour or two more of training log for you. And I thought, this show's already long enough. I think I'm trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> I've got so much to tell you guys about all these things that have happened over the past few years. Because, yeah, it's been a year since I made an episode, but it was like a few months before that and a few months before that. There is just so, so much to catch up on. I cannot wait to share that with y'all. Next episode, I'm going to talk about how to fuel for your training and racing with a crazy inexpensive way that I've been testing out that absolutely works. Kai used it and won his age group at the Pro Cup. And I've been using it for really long stuff and I've found no problems whatsoever. And I'm a big believer in you need to get your fueling figured out. I've tested everything and it's really unfortunate and a complete waste to train and train and train and then on your longer days on race days cut yourself off at the knees because your fueling actually doesn't work all that great and you're not able to put down 
the numbers that you actually could because you're not feeling right. So I cannot wait to share this with y'all. And we'll see if we can line up an interview with, let's say, Heather Jackson. Holly Lawrence has moved from Los Angeles to Boulder. And she started a new YouTube channel. No, it's not me. Called Passion Project. I recommend checking it out. It doesn't have a lot of videos yet, but it looks to me like they're trying to start that up. And I went ahead and subscribed to it. Let's see if they've got any new videos while I'm here. Videos. Yeah, just the two. But she is a big name in triathlon, really successful. And I just found it interesting that she's moving from a big city to Boulder. And her husband is a coach. And oh, yeah, he used to work for Zwift. And then there was Zwift had layoffs, so he's going to start his own business. I just think it's a perfect opportunity to uh, have an interview. So I'll see if we can get her on the show. That would be really cool. And always, the last thing I'd like to mention is this show takes time. It takes a lot of money. This show takes a lot of time. It takes money. It takes a lot of effort. And like I said earlier, my goal is to bring you tons of training tips. And so they're interlaced in throughout the entire show. And if you find that you like the training tips and want to give back to Zentri just a little bit, you can go to zentrathon.com and there is a donation link over there on the side. And you can do recurring donation. You can do one-time donation. Anything is really helpful, especially right now. Oh, and also I do full-on coaching. <laughs> I do totally customized plans and I work directly with you. You can get to be a member of the fam. And I can teach you personally how to become a, a happy long distance triathlete or single sport, gravel biker, whatever you need. I coach it all. All right, that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. I'm in the training room recording a podcast.